Okay, how's everybody doing this afternoon? Doing good? Had a good lunch and it's a good session today. Hey, my name is Jason Laird and uh, I serve as the lead pastor of the church called Sozo Church in San Francisco, California. We, uh, we actually just made one year uh, last Sunday. So, we captivated a lot. So, welcome to this session. I know this is the best session of the day. Uh, so obviously you know what session you're in, it's to serve your city, and uh, if you're in for a treat, I think we're really going to be blessed and learn some stuff today. Uh, go ahead and prepare uh, some questions, we may have some time for some questions at the end of this session, and we'd love to hear from you and answer the questions that you have, but it is my honor to get to introduce my pastor, spiritual father, mentor, Pastor Dino Rizzo, I couldn't think of a better person to uh, help lead this session on serving your city. I would say that probably uh, everything that we have that we're doing as a church right now to serve the city of San Francisco and the Bay Area that we've learned from uh, either Pastor Dino or from Pastor Matthew Barnett with what they do at the Dream Center. And uh, I really believe that if you lean in in this moment and you and you really just open up your heart, I think God's going to speak to you uh, and give you some keys to help unlock your city. And uh, so lean in, get ready. It's going to be a great day today. So clap your hands, show your love for my Pastor Matthew Great, thank you, thank you, Pastor Jason Laird. Uh, I've known Jason forever, and Jen are doing a great job, and they they have done amazing things with engaging their community and serving their city. We've learned from them over the last couple of years as they've launched a, a, a new work there in San Francisco, and really kind of you parachuted in. I mean, it wasn't you know they, they didn't know a lot of people. They brought a small team, and uh, they just had to get out there and hustle. Which is, is what I love talking about. So uh, this is my favorite thing in the whole world uh, that I get to talk about. It's probably if you cut me, I still believe outreach uh, and, and believe serve your city or serve illusion. Uh, I mean, it is the soul of, of what we get to do. I, I still get to do it. I, I serve as the outreach missions guy at Church of the Highlands. So at all of our 19 campuses, we've got different people that are point people there. We, you know, whether it's local or different expressions there in the Highlands world, and then also in the art world as it relates to churches that are getting started to making sure. And this is a big phrase that we've been saying lately: that before you have your first service in a city when you're going to plant a church, you need to make sure that you serve. Uh, a lot of times, if, if you're serving well, then your first service is not that bad. And so a lot of times, it's you know, we got to get to our first service, and then things will go good. We're teaching them, hey, you better be serving in that community even before you have a service. Yeah. And so that's been happening a lot. And so it, it's really the, one of the reasons why it's the passion of, of my heart is because I was reached through outreach. Uh, we, were, we were not church-going people. Uh, our family did not go to church. We didn't think about going to church. Uh, it was not a conviction of ours to go to church. Uh, we worked the weekend, so we were in service industry uh, in a tourism area. So it, going to church was not even possible uh, due to the way that we lived our life and the way that we worked. And so the church came to me. Uh, I had seen outreach before, maybe once or twice, and most of it was a little odd or a little forceful or a little, a little different back in the day. Uh, this would have been in the early 80s, so there was some street preaching that were going on. And so that was a little bit different for someone who did not understand that. And, uh, but then a church did an outreach, a creative outreach uh, on the beach uh, the first two weeks of June, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in 1982. And they actually uh, brought ice chests down on the beach, and they were handing out, uh, you know, cokes and and were had fruit. And, and the guy had a cross that he was, you know, have there with him, and he'd just have a conversation. I'd never seen anyone have a conversation like that. Just talk to people. So that was 
odd. And so one day when he was down, I saw him a couple of times as I was working there by the beach. And so he came up and had a conversation to me. And, and, and here's the thing that made the difference. It was very inviting. And I've not seen much that was inviting. He had created an inviting culture around his conversation, in the way that he served, and even in the uh, logistics of what he was doing. Uh, cold drinks, a little bit of fruit, and a Ziploc bag was not a bad idea. It was an idea that would relate to us there on the beach. And so I look back at that, and those were, those were raw ideas. I wrote a book called Servolution uh, about 10 years ago that really was more the inspiration of those things. We just wrote a book called Serve Your City, uh, which is available here at the bookstore. And, and that's really been a whole lot more nuts and bolts of how do you how do you engage your city? How do you figure out what the, and we'll talk a lot about that, how do you figure out what the need is? And then how do you begin to do some sustainable things where you don't overpromise and underdeliver? And then how do you do consistent things uh, in your community that you need? And then how do you resource that? How do you do it through small groups? And, and, and how do you bring that to another whole big model as it relates to a dream center, which the L.A. Dream Center is that flagship model, which we look to. And then we just scale it across our campuses at, at Church of the Highlands. And we did that also at Healing Place for all those years. And so, you know, it's amazing how even that little outreach those days, uh, my goodness, 30-something years ago, had some of those elements in it. He was speaking through his audience. He was trying to be inviting in his language and his approach to people that were not going to church. And, and so it caught my attention, and he gave me a sheet of paper. Back in those days, you called it a gospel track. Uh, and so, uh, come on, but a chick track, come on. Nobody, if you don't know nothing about chick track, you, you ain't lived yet. You know, somebody been thrown in hell. Come on, somebody. No stick figures in hell. Stick figures going to hell. And so... Uh, you know, anyway, this was actually a this was actually a kind gospel track, and and it made it easy. And I literally took a sheet of paper home. I know people don't believe me when I tell them this. Set it by my nightstand for two weeks, and on June the twenty first, I came in from a place that was out and kind of just had a, a Damascus Road moment. I just looked around and said, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not the life I want to live, even at a young age of 18 years old. And I came home, and that sheet of paper was sitting there, and I opened up, and I read through it. It made sense to me, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God was drawing me. Jesus was drawing me. And I read a sinner's prayer on the sheet of a piece of paper from an outreach. And I gave my life to Christ from a sheet of paper. I want you to hear this. From a church I've never been to and people I've never met. But they paid for it. And they were creative. And out of all the sheets of paper that were thrown down those two weeks, one of them was not. So that's why I believe in outreach. That's why I believe in feeding people and helping people and giving free stuff away. Because as many people who argue that say it doesn't work, people take advantage. No one's getting reached. Uh, that's not true. I got reached that way. And so that's why I totally believe in engaging your community in creative ways, trying to figure that out. We call it cracking the code. If there's a certain code that your community has, you got to figure out what that is because that's different based on your demographics, where you live in the country or internationally, and then how do you sustain it, and then how do you do something permanent? And, and we'll get to hear a lot about that through the Dream Center. And so there's a way to engage your community. I'll tell a story and, um, about uh, my son. So my son was a, a good football player, and uh, we, we moved to Birmingham. And he loved playing football. He was going to be a junior. Goes out for football. Uh, that year, didn't know anybody. Just, just 
went out to the football field. He's a good player. Started, you know, as a young player. And so he get, got there. Two weeks later, comes home from summer practice. And, and Matthew tells me, he says, I'm quitting football. I said, no, we're not quitting football. I'm not quitting football because I'm living my life through you. So we are not quitting football. That ain't happening. Your skill position, I was a blocking tight end. So we need, we need, I need to, I need to run through you and tackle through you. That is my identity. It's you. And so uh, he says, well, the line's too long. He was at quarterback. He said, the line's too long. It's like five deep. And I said, but you're an athlete. And I uh, said, so what's the shortest line? Go to Mark. Tell me what the shortest line is on the field. He came on the next day and says, cornerback. You're now a cornerback because you're an athlete. And so he got in a shorter line. And in that shorter line, one week later, we had a scrimmage, picked off two passes, ran them back for touchdowns. After the game was over, the coach came and found me. He said, man, we're so glad your son is here. What do y'all need? Do you need anything at all? And, you know, the, the, the idea of that is I think so often when it comes to building a church, sustaining a church, we're all standing in the line that everybody else is standing in. Oh, my God. Anyway, so you find the shortest line. You know, I'm gonna tell you right now, they're, they're not most of them are not looking for single moms and blended families and addicted people that are fighting addiction and people that are struggling with mental health and people that are that are in poverty or people that are successful but yet they're in spiritual poverty. I think when we go to a community, let's not stand in line for everybody else. The same line that everybody else is standing in line. Let's try to figure out a way and figure out ways of there are pockets of people, there are people in our community that we can engage with, that we can find, that we can communicate with, that maybe we, that nobody else is even thinking about. And so we started Healing Place. We started thinking about, you know, what about single moms? You know, what about those who've been through divorce? What about those who are fighting addiction? What about those who are maybe struggling with mental health challenges? What about... You know, th- this group of people or this group of people. Maybe we could, we could, we could do outreaches targeted towards them. Maybe we figure some of these things out where, uh, because the average church in, in those moments that we were, we're not competing for them and we're not competing for anyone. So I just want to encourage you that there's a group of people that, that are probably in your community, in your city that uh, you need to engage with, you need to figure out. And, and figure out how to, how to make a difference. And, I, and then I'll tell you the second phase of this, and then we'll, we'll do some, some, some Q&A with, with the Barnett's, is this right here. I believe we are living in a day and age that if you don't get involved with your community, your community will reject you. That's right. It's just we're not living in the day anymore where, hey, something tragic happens, there's a shooting, there's a, there, there's a gas leak, and people have to move out of an apartment. There's been a fire. There's been there's some, a child's gotten run over in a project. And, and we just say, well, the city can handle that. And the church, no, I'm going to tell you right now, the city's getting to the point, people are getting to the point wondering, well, why aren't you responding? Right. Yeah. And, and when there's a tornado or a hurricane or a flood or a fire, it's almost like you, you better be out there. You, just, you better figure out how to do it. Uh, and, and here's what I've learned. If you're not at the table before the crisis, they don't want you at the table when the crisis comes. So you better get there beforehand. Better show up before there's a shooting. Better show up before there is a, is a hunger issue or a water problem. Get there now. Find out now what are the groups. And so when Katrina hit uh, in, in South Louisiana, uh, it was amazing because we were in the room. 
And I remember I had other churches calling. They were mad at us and saying, we're looking at healing place. They showboat. Why are they in all the meetings? Why, are they, why do they know everything? What I, what I told those pastors is you don't know all the years that we've been out there already. We've already been serving the police. We've already been in these communities. We've already invested hundreds of thousands of dollars. You can't show up at the party just when there's pain. You've got to show up at the party before that. And, and, and so it's important that, um, that you kind of figure that out. So I just want to encourage you. What, what are those areas in your city that you can engage in, take baby steps, don't have to cost a lot of money? Our first outreach was $16, and we reached out to widows. Uh, I can remember our first uh, single mom's Christmas party was uh, about $2,000, and I had a guy pay for it. You know, it's just something. It's just taking a step. Just doing something uh, to, to, do, to just make a difference. Yeah. And we, we knew that there were those, those were two pockets of people in our city that uh, the line was short and we could reach out to. And then we watched God bless it. And he grew it, of course. You all know this. You can preach this. How God will grow something like that. So we're going to talk a little bit about how do you engage your community? How do you figure that out? And I couldn't think of anybody greater to be a part of this uh, than Matthew and Caroline Barnett. They are our heroes. I know. I can take this at heart. Um, you know, we are, we are sold out to our partnership with them. Uh, I mean, I don't know of a, of a deeper partnership with ARC uh, than what's happening at the L.A. Dream Center. They really are the model of how you do consistent, permanent ministry in a community. And if you've not taken a trip there, you got to get there. Uh, I don't know. We, we've taken... Hundreds of trips, probably from Church of the Highlands, and 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 we, you know when they first opened 22, 24 years ago, I think year twenty three. Dave Meyer called me on the phone and said, "You're not going to believe what's happening. Sounds like what you do. We sent a team out there the first year and just walked around with them. It impacted us at Healing Place. I mean, Jason led teams out there. It impacted us because it's really where you get to see it and 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 and, and learn it." And so we know some things are called and taught, and sometimes some people teach you and you learn. Some people, you, you get called. There you're taught and called. You get both of those things. You get to te- you get taught by them and you catch it being around them. And so we're committed to them. We really believe in our heart beat is that every art church that gets planted has some, and I think this is an important phrase, dream center expression. Uh, you may can't do a dream center, but maybe you can have a dream center expression. So at Highlands... We have one Dream Center location that we opened about 10 years ago, and that's a location. Um, but we have expressions at all of our campuses. And then we opened up a second Dream Center location in Auburn, Alabama. It has a total different bent than the one in Birmingham. The one in Birmingham is in a very vulnerable community. It's on a bus stop. It's in a walking path. It's a lot of people are there. The one in Auburn is not. The one in Auburn is in an affluent area, so it's a hub. We go there and go out. The one in Birmingham is more of a hub where people can come. So you got to kind of figure that out. And then we have four mobile dream centers where we're able to use that as a multi-purpose vehicle because it costs only $85,000 to do that, which is a whole lot cheaper than doing a permanent facility. And so we've learned from... The Barnett's on how you do neighborhood, you know, Bible study, neighborhood clubs, block parties, feeding people, and all the different ways you can do it through the holidays. And then when we can't do that, so we have that at four of our campuses, but at every campus we have some expression. 
And that is whether it's a, uh, we're in the neighborhood once a month, whether we're doing uh, projects on the weekend. And, and so you just figure something out. And I'm encouraging every church planner to begin it as soon as you can. As soon as you can. Find an expression and begin to sustain it and look for something permanent. So uh, why don't you welcome Pastor Matthew and Caroline. The best people on the planet. Oh, goodness gracious. It is such an honor to just be with you. We just, we try to get together as much as possible. We formed a deep relationship. So um, we're we're doing all we can to to connect with the Dream Center Network and to promote the Dream Center in L.A. as the flagship. And uh, we want every art church uh, supporting it, connected to it. Uh, I think it's some of the best resources we, we give at Church of the Highlands is to these guys. Because they do it well, and then we learn from them so much. And so, give us an update. What's been going on? Dream Center, Barnett family. Well, Dean, I just—I was just choking up. Really, hearing you talk about this partnership and relationship between all of us and the church and the teams that have come out to serve. Um, if you can, many of you know about the Dream Center. But it's basically a hospital on the Hollywood Freeway where we have over 700 residents that live in our building every day. Uh, 250 people that are coming off of drugs and alcohol in our one-year recovery program. I think they might be here tonight. Hopefully we get the bus down there. Trying to arrange buses to get all the people in rehab at church tonight. You'll see them in the black shirts, the army coming in. Um, We also have a place for homeless families. So we have about 35 um, rooms for families that are wanting to rebuild their life from homelessness. Um, Human trafficking, emancipated minors. And um, also now, um, 45, uh, 55 beds total, they just opened up our women's veterans home for homeless women veterans. So we have an 18-bed house that was supported by the Dodgers and Justin Turner and Pastor Jensen Franklin, who came alongside, helped us build the women's program. The men's already been going. So, but people always ask the question, they say, man, it seems like the Dream Center is like an overnight success. And the uh-huh. truth is, Pastor Dino, it has been 24 years of learning to celebrate every little win along the way. And that little win started with just that little old church that we inherited before we got the hospital, Bethel Temple. And uh, the ministry, and people, I say this, people don't believe, but it actually started with a desk on the sidewalk as all my church plant staff left in the first 30 days. I don't blame them. If I, if I had to follow a 20-year-old pastor, I would have left too. You, sometimes you agree with your haters, amen, but you still keep going anyway. I'm like, I agree. Uh, I would leave too if I were you. So I was 20, and I was sitting on the sidewalk, and I, and I just couldn't build a church. So I just put my, my desk on the sidewalk, and I said, the first ministry is going to say hi to people walking by. And I, I was able to reach thousands of people. I mean, literally thousands of people bringing their kids to school, 4,000 uh, member school right down the street and kids coming by and all these. And I just said hi and bought three bags of food and prayed over who to give them to and a jar of candy. And then my first ministry outside the desk was an old dirt lot where we bought a cheap Kmart basketball hoop because some of the gang members were asking if we can use that dirt lot to help them out. And so we bought those little cheap Kmart weights in the basketball hoop. So when people talk about outreach and starting small, I just want you to realize that when you start igniting your church to serve and to reach out, the most important thing is just to get them outside of the building. Because vision, inspiration happens in a conference like this and some vision But ultimately, I believe that the greatest vision that you will ever find for your city is not on the mountaintop, but it's in the valley of need. And it was there on that sidewalk. I met mothers who talked about their sons who had drug addictions. It was there on that sidewalk that we started our first three-on-three basketball tournament. And um, it's just 
that's truly where it begins. And so we just believe that serving is not a destination. It's not a finalized place of having a, a building. God blessed us with a hospital that's you know now worth well we've been offered sixty million dollars for it. Bought it for three point nine million dollars back in nineteen ninety six. And there's moments we seize the opportunity when people were leaving the city. And they were all leaving uh, the neighborhood. We came in and bought property during that time. Wow. And uh, it turned into be kind of a miracle during, uh, during a very difficult season. So um, we just view that serving is not a destination spot that you get to. But it's every, as you said, baby steps, every act of love along the way. You, we enjoy the Kmart basketball hoop as much as yeah. we do now, the Queen of Angels Hospital. And so if you just set out to, and there's something healing. I think a lot of people want to quit in the ministry because they get locked up a little bit into your success, your, your growth and your patterns. But you can be happy every single day if you just live your life with a head on a swivel and looking for little ways to be a blessing. And that's the way it's been built over the years. You just got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's so and true. I know, again, we, when we were doing the, this kind of, I'm not going back to this for that reason, but, you know, when we wrote Servolution and watched what happened Katrina, we were we were so inspired. But then a lot of people say, man, we love the inspiration, but where do you start? Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons why we did the Serve Your City book, because it's like, okay, you start here. This is just one thing. Carol, let me ask you, because I talk with Caroline, we, we've been able to spend some time together in meetings. One of the smartest minds I've ever been around as it relates to reaching a community and figuring that out. Brilliant, brilliant couple, and Caroline's brilliant. If you, let me, this is, and we don't go over any questions. We have a rule with us. We, we're not going over any <laughs> questions. We just freestyle it. We're just going to freestyle. If you were, if, if, let's say God spoke to your heart and you were to, to leave L.A. and you're, you're planting a church in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, Portland, uh, Rockford, Illinois. Um, if you were going to go plant a church today, in this, in our culture now, in the world that we live in now, where would you start? How would you start outreach or engaging in a community? Is there some filters that you see as you travel, and maybe you can start off in Matthew? Just where would you? A lot of people just ask, "Where do I start?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what, what is your filter? What is how? How do you come to those conclusions? Well. I would start with Adopt a Block, which yeah. is one of our first programs that we started. That. Okay, mm-hmm. so Adopt a Block was Matthew's idea, and um, he just thought, you know, we're going to go knock on doors, say we're neighborhood servants, how can we serve you? And so for some, that was, for the seniors, it meant helping them get groceries or helping them mow their lawn. And for uh, the single mom, it was just giving them a couple hours of break by playing with their kids so they can get some stuff done. And it was just an act of love to show them we were there to serve them. Well, it's through Adopt-A-Block, um, which is a weekly visit. Every week, two people would dedicate themselves to knocking on 30 doors. because so that's two people. Yeah, well, it would no, be several that. teams, yeah. right? But two people would de- dedicate to knocking on 30 doors. Now, in L.A., that could be either half a block or it could be like half of a half of a block, right? So a quarter of a block um, because we have so many apartments. But people can commit to knocking on 30 doors. That's doable. Um, It won't be overwhelming for them. And they just um, kind of adopt those people. I'm going to reach out to those people. So for some people, it's going to take six months before you break down that wall of being a stranger where they think, okay, they're really not after anything from me. They want to be my friend. They want to be here. Um, But some people right away, they open the doors, loved us right away and had no problem asking for help, right? Um, But it was through building these relationships that we uh, discovered what the real issues of our community was. Wow. Um, It was So those conversations, Mm -hmm. you started realizing, man, there's addiction, Mm -hmm. there's poverty, there's illiteracy, on and on. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it was through that that we realized there's a huge need for food in our community. That's also where we found out that there's families at risk of losing their kids wow. due to poverty, just, just basic necessities. That's where we also found there was a mom who was the victim of domestic violence, ran with her kids, and now they have no furniture. Right, but you wouldn't know that with the doors closed. Wow! Right, and That's so um, just stepping out, just being willing to serve, um, God always pr- uh, provides those divine appointments for you. And um, for one of our adoptive block sites, just being out there playing with the kids, we discovered a, a little boy had just been uh, raped the night before. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. but we were there, just simply showing up, and we were able to step in, call the authorities. Um, make sure that little boy had a voice, right? And to help them walk through the healing that's going to need to take place after something as devastating as that. So, um, you know, when the government provides food, they've simply provided food, right? But when we, as the body of Christ, provides food, we give them a reason to live, a hope for tomorrow, the promises of God, eternal salvation, right? So it changes everything about why we're doing it. And then, you know, like Dino just says, we find out there's illiteracy is a big problem, especially in our area. And what kind of hope do you have to build a future if you don't have that? And I think of one of the moms we reached out to. She had a first-grade level education, so she couldn't read. Um, But you hear her backstory. She was molested by her father until she was 8 and then put in foster care. It was in over 30 homes before she was 18 and then expected to fend for herself. So beyond what abuse causes in a person's life and abandonment issues, no education, job skills, or life skills. So the truth is this woman is a survivor, but how do you take someone like that to the next place? And the truth is truth is, um, no one her entire life ever loved her enough to teach her how to read. And so many times we're looking for these God miracles. God used me to pray down the anointing, pray down this or that. But the truth is, God miracle for this woman's life is for somebody to simply love her enough to teach her how to read. That would change her future, her children's future, and generations to come. And so our basic abilities can be a God miracle in someone's life. And there's there's also another thing you could do, and that is... um, this is obviously the adoptive block is the, the core of, of the church. Everyone can show up on Saturday. They all take, knock on the door. We're your neighborhood serve. You need something. Most of the time people say, I don't need anything. I'm fine. And so, but it's the expression of being there, being consistent, because we always believe that whoever shows up longest in the community will win the battle of influence. Right. So there is something powerful about doing something simple, ordinary, and constantly showing up. Um, if I had to do it all over again, I would not start it the way I did, and that is I had a passion for everything. So I tried to start 20 things all at once because I had a heart for everything, and then 20 things were done very average. And so what I would do is I would go back into the city, like she said, go into the neighborhood, see the need, and then just take on the biggest need of that community. If it's, if it's meth, if it's addiction, whatever it may be, if it's counseling for people who have addiction, find out the one biggest need in your community and go after it because there is momentum when you do one thing well your church starts to get excited about it you start getting momentum every church service I have a testimony there hasn't been one service we've ever had a church where we didn't have a four minute testimony from somebody whose life is being impacted in the community that way everybody is usually right before the offering helps the offering too amen um, gotta hustle as Dino said but, uh, but you're up there and then another thing you also you can do is in the beginning show up to every local city council meeting. Exactly. Show up to every neighborhood council meeting and be known as the church that has a solution for every problem that everyone's complaining about. Because yeah. if you go to these meetings or complaining about potholes and then I said, Clint, Clint goes to all these meetings. Raise your hand back there. Clint goes to all these things and he just simply is the guy who raises his hand and says, we can do that. 
you know, and the neighborhood's arguing about, you know, a stop sign or something needs to be fixed. And, the, all, and now the city, all they do is look at the church as people that make their load a lot easier and shorten their meetings, right? Oh, we can do that. If you really want to go crazy, he's got a police scanner. If you ever want to do outreach, have you seen the movie The Night Stalker? Where that crazy guy buys all that equipment because he wants to be a paparazzi. And so he tries to get to the, the need first before CNN gets there and all that because he wants to build a career and be a paparazzi. I saw that movie. I got blessed. I mean, I mean, I'm blessed, but I got an idea. And that was to be able to have a police scanner. He, in the movie, he had a police scanner. And whenever there was a tragedy, he would get there before the news and film it so he could become famous. Well, I thought, well, why don't we have a police scanner? Clint has one. Literally, he, I'll wake up in the morning and 200 guys in our rehab program have already fixed a problem at 4 a.m. before I even woke up. But it requires a certain guy like that um, who has a marriage that's already messed up so that he can do that. No, I'm just teasing. Wake up in the middle of the night. Uh, just teasing. But uh, he, uh, so seriously, he can just respond any hour of the day to be ready. And, um, but just show up to these meetings and be known as the people that have solutions to problems, and therefore the church will be a go-to. And then, you know, the city spends a lot of money finding out what the problems are in the community. That's okay. They don't have a lot of answers, but they spend a lot of money finding out what the problems are, and we can utilize that research to help us step in in new church plans and make a difference. Yeah, that's where it's a whole thing of cracking the code. Yeah. Trying to figure okay, what is it here? Right. And a lot of times someone has already done that. Mm-hmm. They've done the research. They've spent the money. And they already know we have a exactly. challenge with senior adults. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're having a problem with, you know, uh, uh, health care uh, or whatever it is. And uh, I remember we were, when we were trying to figure out some things, I went to lunch with a parole officer. <laughs> I found out more about our community with the parole exactly. officer. Because he knew where crime was. He knew where those that were needed to do community service was. And then um, even conversations with emergency room doctors, conversation with police, firemen, responders. And uh, we took one of our guys in our church who kind of had that bent, and we we got him to be a chaplain with the police department. So we paid for him to be a chaplain. A lot of might just go through the course and all that. They they would immediately, he would respond when there was a tragedy Mm -hmm. as the chaplain of the police department. But then he would immediately raise his hand and say, hey, listen, I think we could come in here and help the situation. We know somewhere that can help that family. You know, so we would get the calls every you know, morning when he's responded about a, a family. Or he found out locations in our community Good. that were having a lot of crime issues, a lot of domestic violence issues, a lot of children that were vulnerable. And, then, uh, and even some of the school systems. That there was a lot of children there that were going through things. So a lot of us just asking questions, and 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 somebody usually knows the answer already. Right. You know. That's exactly right. You, you no, I was just going to say. You know, the problems that we see in LA are actually going on all across America. Um, it just seems so much bigger because our population is bigger. But percentage-wise, all the poverty, all the issues that we see are actually happening. So the same needs are everywhere. Um, it just seems a lot bigger because. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What was it? The other night, uh, Matthew, you'll, you'll understand this, and I want you to speak to us. So, the other, the other uh, night, my Sunday, did it get an early flight? So, I dropped him off at the airport at four a.m. Uh, I come around to this one area that I knew was a, a, a little challenging. I was like, I'm gonna get gas there, and I was getting gas. And I said, I'm just gonna linger here for a moment because you know there were several homeless uh, men that were going, coming through the parking lot. There were some other people there. It's like I just want to absorb this 
for a moment, and I saw a guy that was digging through one of the trash cans by the by the vacuum cleaners, and uh, we made eye contact. And you know that eye contact, you're like, okay, here we go, here we go. Uh, what's this going to be? Where are we going with this? So he started coming over there to me, and I was like, man, I didn't have a lot of money on me at that time. <laughs> and um, But it was like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I don't need, I know you don't have anything to give. It. Try to find something in your truck to give him from me. Mm. It's not about you. I, I need you to do something for him for me. Yeah, that's and, good. And uh, I looked at my glove box, and this I think I found $5. I, I handed it to him. I said, hey, man, let me, let me give you this, and God bless you, man. Or, you know, just love you. And, and um, when I turned around, he said, hey, man, can you pray for me? I was like, I probably should have thought of that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you're asking me to pray. And, uh, so I had to pray for him. And, um, and when I got done praying for him, he, he said these words to me. He said, you know, you drove the demons away this evening. Wow. He said, and he said, he said, wow. he said, you don't know the demons that follow me around at night. Wow. Homeless. He said, I just sleep in different places and the demons that are out here. And um, it just reminded me of, wow, you know, to, to, you got to be close to the pain. And so I know you spent the night out on Skid Row. What did you learn? How important is it for us to be close to the pain? You know, um, in order to be compassionate, I don't think anyone's more compassionate than any other people. I just think people that are compassionate. Like you said, put themselves in situations where they allow their heart to be broken. Yeah. They allow these divine encounters like you experienced to yeah. be open to them. That, and you've done that many times in situations. And, uh, and, and, and as leaders, it can be – you can start managing a miracle and managing a move of God, oh, managing man, the good. situation where so good. you look over the campus and now you see like 700 residents and the yeah. campus is flowing. There's discipline and structure. And or just manage programs. the church. And manage the church or – yeah, and you just get that place in your life. But – you know, every once in a while, you need to do something so radical in order to get your heart kind of right again. And when, when God spoke to my heart to go to Skid Row and live homeless, it was funny because I was walking out the door after our 15th year anniversary. And, um, and God just said, I just want you to go there like, for a couple of days. And, and the heart, I mean, Skid Row is like, it's unbelievable. I can't even explain it. Thousands of people on the street. And I'm walking out. My dad, my dad said, where are you going, son? I said, I'm going to go live homeless on Skid Row. My dad said, well, great. I've always wanted to do that too. So I'll go with you. So my dad like... He literally like grabbed a piece of cardboard and then we, we, we panhandled for money. We experienced everything a homeless person could go through during that time. We wanted to feel the rejection. We just want to feel what it was like being down there sleeping with the rats the size of, of I mean, softballs in the middle of the night and, and all that. My dad went under one bridge and I went to the other bridge. We panhandled. Even at panhandling, he raised more money than I did, man. I mean, he, just, he beats me all the time. And... Uh, I just can't beat him. And even homeless, I can't beat him. But we were down there, and it was churches showed up and gave away food. And standing in line waiting for it, it what really feel like? it, it just it allowed me to understand. I, I almost felt like I was a part of that situation. I kind of felt that the love and the, and the joy of being loved on by someone to go out of their way by the little restaurant to pull up their extra food. And, and I knew it was like to be cussed at for asking for money and just... And it was the strangest sense of rejection when I committed myself to really understand what that felt like. And because of that experience, every time that I – sometimes I'll study for a sermon I can't study and went down to this housing project, play kickball with the kids and all the little kids play and said, my, my brother lives there. So where? And they said, to the prison right above the project, L.A. Central uh, Prisons, right above it. And, and just the brokenness and then the – 
being homeless on Skid Row, that's where God showed me that no family should ever live here. So I went back to the Dream Center. I said, look, we need to open up a room for homeless families. And behind my back, they opened up 35 rooms. And I said, why would you open up 35 on the hospital? I had just asked for one um, hospital room on our campus for families. They said, we know, Pastor, that once you start talking about reaching people and hurting people and all that, um, then we knew that we couldn't get you to shut up. So we opened up the whole floor. But never be afraid to talk about your vision of what a community can become like at church. I, I cannot tell you four or five times we've had people fund an entire program by just not being afraid to speak what you want to accomplish in the community, even though it doesn't have form yet, even though you don't know exactly how it's going to be, even though you haven't had a committee meeting about how to make it work. But there's something about sharing a vision for what the community can be like that captivates the hearts of people. Last week I was in church and I was talking about how we need to get closer on the edge. We're on the edge, but we need to be like on the death-defying edge. And I'm just up there talking about these nightclubs. We have a nightclub that meets right in front of us. It's one of the most famous nightclubs. As you go out of our church, our parking structure, they're lining up. And I got mad. I'm like, you know, I just, I'm mad that I don't see anyone out there after church, you know, ministering to the people in the nightclub. And so a lady came up to me after church. She said, Pastor, she goes, I got a taco truck. And we are going to get a taco truck. And we, she goes, we don't need to. I said, I, I just speak from the top of my head. It wasn't a perfect idea. I'm like, we need to have a DJ outside our church and someone from the church, you know, talk to people and meet people and network with them. You know, it was just, it was a very raw idea. The lady came up after church. She said, Pastor, it's not going in that need minister. It's people coming out of the clubs. Those are the ones that need to be ministered to. I'm like, okay. And so she got a taco truck and she's going to actually uh, turn that taco truck into a place, a hangover taco truck for people that are coming out of the clubs. And then with lounge chairs. So everyone can get over a hangover eating tacos, you know, and uh, especially some of the hot sauce. But they're sitting out there and they're detoxing and they're um, having it. And then they have lounge chairs. They need housing at the Dream Center. We can take them in. So when you just start talking, don't, you don't have to have the perfect plan. Please don't be afraid to talk about things that don't have form yet that are halfway developed in your brain because that's where the momentum starts. And that's where God smiles when he says, look, you're trying to find a need and fill it. And you're trying to find a hurt and heal it. And almost everything, we've never had the perfect plan. You get a good plan, get your best plan together, your best people, and then you just go. Because you'll never be able to figure it out until you just go and learn it on the way to where you're going. That's great. That's great. Jason, come see. Tell us, Jason, I know you planted a church, a fluent area. Um, where did y'all start with? Actually, the first thing we did, you know, we noticed that there's an area in San Francisco, seven miles by seven miles, almost a million people, but one of the worst zip codes uh, in all of North America is in what's called the 21 district, right in the center of the city. And uh, so there's a ton of nonprofit organizations that are there, and they're meeting one of the the really big needs. And so we came in saying, okay, we don't have a ton of people or a ton of money. What can we do that won't duplicate sure. what's already being done? Smart. Um, how can we just kind of figure out what our thing is? And we couldn't figure it out at first. So the first <laughs> thing we did was we just set up a, we set up shop at this farmer's market, uh, and we would give away free things to kids uh, where, where families were shopping, and we'd have conversations with them and invite them to church, and they were blown away that we were giving away free coffee and giving away free things to their children, free tote bags for them to shop with. That was the first thing we did in our community where we're planted at to create conversations around the community and around the church. 
And then we started thinking, okay, well, what else could we do? What is our city like? What's the code here? Well, it's a city filled with runners and bikers. And so we went down to a field called Christie Field where there's a path where runners every Saturday run. And we set up a tent, a six-foot table, had some water bottles, some Gatorades and stuff like that with surf cards. And then, you know, the little cheesy pop signs that all of us use at our churches now? We we actually put them to use at the path. And we put all these kids and stuff there saying, hey, you could do this, you got this, while runners were running by. And then they would stop and they'd grab a Gatorade or whatever. And and then we'd be able to have conversations with them. And we've actually had people come to our church, like just doing that small thing, come to faith in Christ. There's two people right now in our growth track that's getting connected to our church through doing that. Then we have other things that, you know, there's other great ministries that are doing stuff in the city. And we just felt like we don't want to compete with what people are doing. Let's partner with what they're doing. Exactly. And so we've partnered with some of the organizations there to reach some of the homeless. We have probably about 8,000 homeless people in that mm-hmm. smaller area there. It's crazy. And so we just come alongside other great ministries. We'll bring care packages to the homeless and, um, you know, just stuff like that. But I think I actually had a question for you. To, maybe you could speak to this. How do we how do we. Um, how do we make sure we're not duplicating what other ministries are doing? Because I, we found that like that's so easy to like kind of cross yeah. territorial lines that no mm-hmm. one talks about. How do how do we how do we do that? So no, that that's a really you want to answer that? No, that's a really good question because um, we we we're seeing that too. I think we, that the nonprofits and the ones that are been around a long time doing a lot of outreach and and uh, doing a lot of housing things like that. I think it begins also with them. Letting them know how much they are needed to to really reach the city. I, that, that's what we've done. We've literally invited the whole city to come to us and and to help us and to take on people that graduate from recovery programs. But I think he said it best. He, I I would just show up and say, "What is the one thing that you wish you could do that you can't do that you feel limited to with 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 your building, your resources, whatever?" We would have come alongside. We've had churches that have done that to us, and let me tell you, it's the most liberating experience we've had. Um, Pastor Jensen Franklin, um, his Orange County church, every Sunday night, they've adopted us. And we bring our guys to rehab to his church to get them off campus. Because a lot of times, um, these, these, really, a lot of these organizations, nonprofits that are doing housing, they need really what you have. We're rare in the sense we have a church, but they need a church. And many times, if you go out to them and say, look, we would love to have the people that you're reaching out to, to come to the church they will, a lot of them won't feel threatened. A lot of them will feel so excited that these people will have a home church to be connected to. Because what's all said and done, it's the local church that changes their lives. I really believe that. The secret to the Dream Center recovery programs and why people graduate so much is because we get the Dino Rizzles coming in on Thursday nights to preach every week. We get the Chris Hodges. And we just have a gathering place to meet that it re-inspires momentum during these tough programs. So I, I would just, I would make your church available. To a lot of these places out there that have no home church, they're doing a great work for God. And uh, if they don't want to be a part of it, that's fine. But there will be a lot that do want to be connected. We have halfway houses that come to our church all the time. I see them up in the balcony. They get excited. Um, but a lot of those places don't really feel that their clientele would be welcome into your church. But i tell you one thing. When Jensen Franklin said, would your people come to our church on Sunday nights, our people in recovery? And that's Orange County. That's not downtown. All of our guys, you know, we had 40 people in one month sentenced to the Dream Center instead of prison. 40 in a month. They were going for a 10-year sentence to a one-year sentence. And you'll see them, maybe it's not, I'm not sure. But uh, they show up and they come into your building. They're the most respectful, and they and, and Pastor Jensen said, really, it's taking his church to a whole new oh, level. Man, so there's a lot of partnerships with people that do a lot of housing. 
that really need a good base in a church to help them go. And you have as much as what they have to provide relief to people, and that is a dynamic work of God ministry. Anything Ed? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> also, would you talk about project prevention? Oh, sure. This is, some, this is something every church can do. And I want you to listen carefully because this is one of the most inspiring things that we can do tomorrow as a church. Um, and before I go into that, though, um, if I could just encourage you, what I've seen now, I've been at the Dream Center 23 years, is that people are literally dying to know what you know. When you go out there, Mm -hmm. you're not going against a crowd that doesn't want you there. Um, You know, my favorite thing when I used to do the food truck ministry uh, was just go down the line and offer prayer. I wasn't forcing it on them. I just said, would you like prayer? And I would say 80% of people said yes. Sure. I wasn't, uh, they weren't angry with me. People are so desperate and hurting. They're looking for an answer. And so know that you always have the upper hand. You don't have to be fearful of this, this, uh, like you're going up against a war. No, you're not. People are, are ready to receive you. So know that you have the upper hand when you're going out to reach out. People people are so desperate for love and for a kind um, offer. So uh, foster care intervention. We've na- changed the name, so it's foster care intervention now. Um, what we notice in at the Dream Center is this constant uh, common thread through all the people who are in our either homeless family programs or in our discipleship programs that so many of them spent time in foster care. Yeah. And so digging up more, you look at what it looks like for a child who spent time in foster care. If you look at them as they age out, like 98% of them in the first year are either on drugs, in jail, um, wow. prostituting, or in human trafficking. Like, their, mm-hmm. their future looks very bleak, right? And so, again, this common thread of kids in foster care. And then we realized that 85% of our human trafficking victims in L.A. are foster youth. And the common entry-level age is 12. So there, this, there's this huge issue with our kids in foster care. Well, I was out to lunch with a friend of mine, and she was sharing statistics with me. And she told me that more than 50% of the kids in foster care in America actually have parents who love them but lost them due to the lack of basic necessities. Now, up until this point, I ignorantly assumed every child in foster care was there because of abuse or neglect. I had no idea a parent could be doing their personal best and lose their kids. Um, That was tragic to me, and I thought, this is something, we we as a church can do something about this. So we started our foster care intervention program. What we did, we contacted our local DCFS office and said, as a church, we can help with clothing, food, uh, furniture items, basic necessities, baby items. If you come across families with open cases at risk of losing their kids due to these things, call us. We'd love to help. And at first they were a little leery of us, but as soon as we showed ourselves faith when we were showing up all the time, uh, they start calling us um, daily. And we get eight brand new family referrals every single day at the Dream Center. We can't even keep up with the amount of families with open cases at risk of losing their kids just due to poverty. And um, so you just think, you know, everything kind of snowballs into something else and it all mushrooms out. But if we can prevent kids from being put in foster care in the first place, how much can we prevent in the future? You know, 70% of the men and women in prisons come from, spend time in foster care. 80% 80% of the men on death row spent time in foster care. So if we can stop 50% of the kids going into foster care in the first place here in America, how would that change the way our, our nation looks, right? Um, because there's about 500,000 kids in the foster care system in America. 
but there's about 500,000 churches. I guarantee you, if every church was, would rally around keeping one family together, uh, we could really change the future of our, our country. I, I was there during one of those foster care um, interventions where um, this grandma was doing the best to take care of her kid, but she couldn't because of poverty. And so our crew was in there just helping them meet a checklist that the social services has to keep their kids, putting furniture in, decorating the house. And the whole time, this mom was yelling out, the angels have come, the angels have come, the whole time. And the social workers there had said, you know, you pass your inspection, they were able to keep their children. And I've just seen so much good come out of this. They go out every day now, and they just save families. And all day, they go out, and they save families by providing the basic necessities that are stopping them from being together. So it's, it's great. Well, then, since you had a story, there was this one time our truck was pulling up. It was a mom with four kids. And as our truck pulled up, the mom came oh, yeah. screaming out of the apartment, screaming her head off, runs to our truck, trying to hold our doors closed because she thought we were there to take her kids to find out that we were the answer from God, right? Can I tell you, it's such an exciting way to live out your faith being a superhero on behalf of God, right? It's a low budget, too, to do that, huh? Oh, yeah. And, uh, so here's the thing. When there's an open case, the social worker has given the mom or father a list of what they want to see done before their next inspection. And if, if they don't meet everything on that checklist by the next inspection, that's when the kids get removed, right? So these parents are doing their best to check off as much as they can. Um, but, you know, they... For a single mom to provide, once there's an open case, every child has to have its own bed, right? Um, And so for a single mom, that could be an entire year's savings, right? And so that's such a huge hurdle for them. So typically, that is the biggest thing that we're providing in this ministry is twin-size beds or uh, cribs. Um, there were ones that going with that. Oh, but other than that, I mean, the food we get uh, or give we, is all donated, yeah. so that doesn't cost us anything. Um, we have all of our mattresses donated by a company we, we uh, partnered with. Um, there are people who want to help if they know. Think of all the garages of the people in your churches that are jam-packed with their old stuff, right? Um, really just rallying it up. As soon as people know there's a need for it and a reason for it, um, they're so happy to give it. I just want more thing. That is, um, I feel like we're on a roll here right now, but I just... I think sometimes we just tend to harness compassion. We get a crazy idea that's full of so much love and kindness and goodness. And then there's always something in us that just tries to hold it back. If somebody's 25 cents short at a cash register, we have the power to make a difference. But we're like, oh, we should do that and help them out. And we just hold back. Or if it's give a 25% tip instead of 18, whatever it is, there's always a fight within our spirit to harness these incredible acts of love and service that come. And, you, and I, I got to tell you something, if those ideas are coming to your spirit to help people make a difference, step out of your comfort zone, change someone else's world, that, that thought's not coming from, uh, that, you know, that's, that's coming from God, right? That's not coming from the enemy. He's not telling you to change lives. So I've, I've usually come from that perspective in my life. Don't harness those things that well up in your spirit that do not come from you, that hit you out of nowhere. And, and don't be afraid to take that first step forward. And another thing is I've always felt like, you know, being raised in a, in a really successful church, a pastor. So I came to LA and I was, I was forever limited in for a season of time because I felt like I couldn't relate to the neighborhood because I'd never been through the experiences of them. And one day God spoke to me and he said, I didn't call you into LA to be relevant. I've called you to be revolutionary. The neighborhood is not looking for someone who has all the answers. They're just looking for someone who will outlast the liquor stores, who will outlast the pimps, who will outlast the pushers. And the people praying on runaway street kids. And so I learned that there's a a certain kind of blessing in staying 
All the promises that have been made to neighborhoods have come and gone. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to understand the dynamics or even everything. You'll learn it eventually. You'll be there. The need will speak to you. You'll, you'll adjust and adapt and grow and figure out a way. But that's why I don't get too discouraged that much in ministry. You'll say, Pastor, that sounds a little over the top. I, she knows I'm pretty happy all the time in ministry. And the reason why is because I've given my whole life to my city. I told God I'm going to give you at least 50 years to the city of Los Angeles my whole life. So I don't have to have everything overnight because I've already given everything for 50 years. At some point, every dream that I had that's been buried will come forth, as was so said good. earlier. So there's a certain kind of joy of committing yourself to a city for a it's life true. to where you just know that eventually that the things that you want to have will come about because you'll be in there long enough to pass those quitting checkpoints to get uh, where you need to go. Certain things, our veterans program, I want to do that for 23 years. Finally, it's happened. But when you commit yourself long-term, those things have a way of coming about over time. That's great. I'm going to open it up for just a few questions. We have a few minutes, but my wife wanted me to share just this one little thing. If you're here and you're a church planner and you're in a portable kind of setup right now, you can hear some of these things and they feel like insurmountable. Like, how are we ever going to yeah. start doing this stuff? Here's a few things that we did that we started out with. Yeah. We started at our school since that was the first place. We didn't want to yeah. be a burden. We wanted to be a blessing to the school. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so one of the first things we did is we uh, we renovated the teacher's lounge. We went in yeah. and completely renovated the whole thing, rallied a, awesome. a, the dream team around that, and blessed the teachers before they started back. They showed up the first day at school and they were blown away. So the first thing we did for the school, the second one was we found out that the performing arts director that he had zero budget for AVL for their productions for the kids. Well, we have AVL. So now we donate all of our AVL and we train junior high students how to run AVL for all their productions at their school. It's a blessing. Right and they, they put us in their little, you know, their little uh, awesome. pamphlet thing and they talk about us, give us a shout out. So it's great. And then the other thing is because we've been consistent with that, now they open up the counselor's uh, office and around Christmas, whenever all these families that are there at the school that don't have any means for Christmas, we underwrite Christmas gifts for we don't we don't get any of the credit. We just give gift cards to the counselor's office. They give it to the parents and the parents are the heroes. And it's it's, it's opening up the heart for the school and the community for us. So if you're portable and you're church planner, just start there first. Okay? Try so anybody have any questions? We have just a couple of minutes. Just raise your hand and I'll run over to you. A question is, what is a practical step when you started with the block and you knocked on the doors, even though you said you mm-hmm. couldn't do it again? Like, what did you say to them? And what if they said, yeah, I need X? How do you know that you can provide that? Great, Great question. And again, most of the time people say, wow, thank you for stopping by. And then after we make the visits on the block, we always clean the neighborhood, um, that block. We pick up trash, paint graffiti, whatever it needs to be. That's something paint we can do. Paint out graffiti, yes. Yeah, we're tagging, <laughs> the church is tagging our ground. It's ours. Painting out graffiti. And uh, we just go into the neighborhood and, and do something kind of visible, let them know that we mean business after our visitation. Right. If there's something that we cannot do, we will, by the next week, we'll figure out a way to have it. The great thing about Adopt a Block is this a lot of people will never go door to door because they're terrified to talk. But you can utilize plumbers that can go and fix something, you can utilize painters that can paint something. So you can have a crew that goes out into the neighborhood, but you also can have a delivery crew. You can have uh, a basic resource crew. 
that would just be headquarters that can respond to any type of situation. It can get as wild as you want it to be. I mean, you can buy 29 cent tacos from Del Taco and just drive around the neighbor and give away free tacos. I mean, you can put a massage chair on a corner and just get free massages right there. Um, I mean, whatever. I mean, you can do so many different things. But what happens is when we ask someone and we cannot meet the need, we will tell them, so we don't have that resource, but, but thank you for sharing because we're going to do it. And uh, we usually set out to try to tackle that need in the next seven days. And uh, the Adopt-A-Block is so powerful because it takes time, but most of the visits that we do are really quick. We're just checking on you. We're from the church. Are you okay? We just come by to see how you're doing. They actually want to linger longer than we do, and it's very purposeful. The visits are very short, maybe 15 to 30 seconds, really fast. We're checking on you. We'll see what will happen. And just you know, say hi maybe for a little bit, but just it's a quick introduction. And that, and that way, um, the capacity for your visit becomes stronger and stronger. As you begin to grow, there's one guy knocked on his door for so long. His name is Randy Swickard. He was up in this uh, apartment. An old hippie had been out of his house in ages. And um, I would ring his doorbell, say, hey, we're from the church. Just checking on you. Good. We're just here to serve the community. He would yell at me every time to that intercom. Words I could never possibly begin to describe. So I just kept showing up. And they're like, are you going to ring his doorbell? Like, yeah, I'm going to ring his doorbell. We're from the church. We're here to show up. And finally... Um, he had a need for something to be fixed in his house. He buzzed. The, it kind of shocked me. He hit the buzzer, opened up the door, he walked through the gate, went to his house. It began an unbelievable relationship. It took a close to about a year to get to that place. But if you just keep showing up and just proving that you're really there to serve, you usually break down every wall. Hi, my name is Rick from Fellowship Church in um, I'm wondering, coming from both sides, I do a lot of work in our church as a second year intern also, on the nonprofit sector, I work with reentry services, folks who are coming out of jail and prison. Um, so we talked about let's get connected with the people that are already doing these things. There's already mm-hmm. nonprofits yeah. doing a lot of the things that we want to do. Um, can you speak to a little how you break those walls down with um, with an existing church when you have a church that's already has their processes and ways, and this is what we do and we don't do? Um, how do you kind of merge church and state per se? If that makes any sense, because we want to break down those silos. We're all doing good, great works. Some have the name of Jesus attached, and some don't. And so, how do we, as a church, partner with a nonprofits um, that are already doing that work and kind of insert ourselves and insert the name of Jesus with that work? Well, this is going to sound like a very carnal answer, but sometimes sowing the seed could be an open door into a project that they might have that could be something along the line of if they have a certain thing they're doing and and be an investor into what they're doing and sowing a seed always opens up a wonderful door. Um, Sowing a seed of volunteers from your church that will go by and just kind of get in the flow of what they're already doing and um, make yourself available. And then out of that just comes the dynamic relationship of the church can do things that we can't do. We partner together so well with LA Mission. They're a, a very big government program, but they call us more than we even want them to call now because they don't do families because, you know, it's a little bit uh, or, or I think it's, yeah, they don't do as much families as we do. Um, only one mission actually in downtown L.A. does homeless families. So they bring their families to our place. And there's, and there's some people that aren't a good fit for our program. And we're like, man, they're just, they're just not getting it here. Maybe they'll go down there. So um, those relationships happen, but it's usually the one that has the closed doors and that closed mindset that the churches kind of has to go in there and just jump into the stream of what they are doing. And then out of that becomes a partnership of them realizing that you have something they don't have. Yeah.
Okay, we have one more question right here. Um, in Seattle, we see a lot of uh, tension between the community and the idea of a church. Uh, started very unchurched, we're right in the heart of the city. Um, what kind of advice would you give? I mean, I hear adopt the block, my heart jumps, I just want to do it tomorrow, take our whole team. Um, but as far as protecting yourself and the legalities, sure. assurances, and like what kind of policies need to be in place to make sure that in the midst of pursuing your passion and your mission and wanting to be Jesus in the flesh in your community, you're making sure you're protecting the church as well from people who would love to take advantage of that and their accusations. Sure. Are you give the Tommy Barnett response? No, you <laughs> the Tommy Barnett response is simply get all the insurance you can and go for it. Meet as many needs as you can. That, that's a Tommy Barnett answer right there, man. Just load up and go. Um, but again, I, I, there are a lot of people that, that are just longing in the legal field to get involved in, in working together with a nonprofit. We have probably eight to ten people that I know of that any moment they can volunteer their services to help us to draft various um, you know, outlines or structures about what we do as we go into the community. Um, but again, it, you're, you're always just going to be living on the edge of risk all the time. And when you take a risk on risky people, it's just going to be a part of who you are um, and what you do. And um, we've just decided that um, the greatest risk in our life is playing it safe and let the world throw lobs of um, bombs at us of uh, opinions that aren't true about what the church is. We feel like the best position is to be aggressive and to be actively in the community um, and not just to be um, – people of social justice, but to be people of social transformation. So we wouldn't just advocate for everything. I think the world sometimes looks at social, the church even uses it too, social justice, that's fine. Wear the wristband, advocate for it. But until you really, social, God's called the church to be advocates, but also people of transformation. And, um, and so when they, you know, it, it's a balance. It's something that, you know, for years has frightened me because, frankly, we, we, we live on the edge. We protect as many people as we can. We try to make sure there's a, as, a tremendous amount of accountability when people go out and they're as safe as possible. But at, at some point of the game, man, you just have to throw caution to the wind and believe that the best insurance you have is going forward and God having your back, you know. So. Yeah, just like you would just said, we do put uh, rules in place so that people are never out there by themselves, right? Um, also, we have to protect, even now, we have some volunteers going out who aren't necessarily people that we'd want to represent mm -hmm. us as church members um, because of the community that we're in, but they see the good that we're doing and they want to jump in. Maybe they don't really believe what we believe, so we give them That's certain true. jobs that don't have them involved with actually talking to the people, right? So we have them maybe bagging the food instead of, um, you know, being the one to say, would you like to come church? But we, so we put rules in place, but guess what our first rule is in adopted block? Don't knock like you're the cops. Yeah, so like, we have very practical rules in adoptive block. Uh, and of course, to say that we don't have sometimes people putting signs, don't, don't knock, knock on my door, church or whatever. We've had some, a couple people do that. Of course, that's going to happen. But um, overall, for the most part, um, everybody will welcome you. They will be excited. My friend started adoptive block in Sweden. And in Sweden, you don't have the same social needs as you do here in L.A. And so she was wondering, is this even going to work? Turns out there were so many lonely people. Loneliness was the brokenness in that area. And so there was a huge response in their adopt block program. And 
And there's also a sense of longevity. If the longer you stay in a community and serve, the more people begin to not care that you're a church anymore. It's crazy. We give tours. Like we've had everyone, every celebrity you can think of in LA has come through the Dream Center on tours. Every politician. We've had um, Kamala Harris to Ben Carson. Van Jones goes to my church on CNN. You've seen him on all time. And then I got tea party people in my church. But there's something about a church that serves so consistently that just breaks down every one of those walls in the community over time. So the greatest insurance that we probably have is just the goodwill of longevity. And that's why what I think protects us the most, where the city starts to protect you, because they know that you're just people that won't go away and you're gonna be at it for a long, long time. Yeah. Come on, can we clap our hands for these guys? Thank you.